So we already had our qualification down, the prioritization, the forecasting. So we knew what to expect on our own. And I could do that in a spreadsheet. I even worked with our sales and a spreadsheet and give them some credit. You know, I've never seen, it always gets me excited when someone's got, of course, I say you may have to get out of that pivot table a spreadsheet, but I still love that they're in there. Anyone who's in the data and wants to know, I'm there to help. But those three areas were certainly big ones because those sort of dictate kind of the rest of the cycle and really will give you the biggest sort of improvements and just transfer across everything. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lisa Trumbly, Director of Data and Revenue Operations, who has spent the better part of a decade scaling Versature from start to scale up. So Lisa, firstly, thank you for your time. Excited to dig into your world today. Thank you for having me. So I just want to just kind of clarify that I am currently in between things, but it was the last role that I was in for the, that was the better part of the 10 years that I really was just very grateful to have the opportunity to be involved in such an exciting space. Uh, Versature started, they were in the business VoIP space. I was fortunate to start there when they were very small, taking over things from the CEO directly starting out in marketing, getting my hands in sales, and really being there, working alongside the CEO and growing out marketing and growing out sales from two people to a team of 30 with an entire SDR team, um, collecting our data in more of a strategic way. And really just, as you can see, I'm sort of going from the end to the beginning and back again. But to summarize, looking back, I can really appreciate the value and the skills and just what I was able to learn and accomplish and really just very much enjoyed it all as well. Um, Working in a startup in the SaaS space and then being able to see it through to acquisition and sticking around for the post-acquisition process as well. Because a lot of that just was really gave me the opportunity to get my hands in all of the tools, all of the data, the process, the people, and just such a big way that I think is a very, just very unique to get from just one company. And I do feel like I almost started at one company. And by the time I left, it was in many ways, very different. But that journey is just something that was really, truly I just had a huge impact on my career and just really what I learned. And also, of course, is what brought me (laughs) to the revenue operations space, which is where I'm at now and just looking to continue my journey with that. Beautiful. There's definitely a few bits from that that I know we're going to dig into a lot more today. 
particularly your background going from data analyst into the more complete RevOps role, but also very intrigued as well, that very close relationship that you had with the CEO. You know, certainly I've talked to folks before where that RevOps role can sometimes be quite siloed away from leadership. I was really into the end sales marketing. I worked in marketing is where I started taking over for the CEO who was at the time doing the ad campaigns, creating the marketing because it was that small with one sales rep, which then grew to be a sales team with a VP of sales and three SDR managers and 25 SDRs split between inbound, outbound, and referral partner sales, all of which had their own process, operations, and teams to support. So it grew from about 20 to 100 people, but a lot of that growth was in the sales and marketing, which is really where I was sitting and then pulling all of the rest of the finance and the other pieces in there sort of as they needed to be support and all the other pieces around that. It was definitely a long journey. 10 years is a long time. And I find it's a very hard thing to summarize because it sounds simple, but pulling together all of that data and outlining all of the systems and requirements and really just as we went, realizing we needed sales enablement, we needed training, we needed to have middle management, we needed to have a lot more automation and process that's defined because as you grow, it gets harder and harder to sort of keep things on the rails. And I guess what my ultimate goal was when I started out in marketing, which sort of led me to where I ended up as the director of data and revenue operations was when I started as the digital business analyst in marketing. I was creating campaigns in AdWords, setting up SEO, managing the website, taking on a lot of what the CEO was working on, taking a lot of things that were sort of just started and maybe third parties and other things to bring those together in a more organized way to get the data organized. But really what my goal was from the start that kind of set me on this mission was to determine that ROI on my ad campaigns. I wanted to know what keywords were the best performing. I wanted to know what campaigns were bringing in the most revenue or the most number of customers, new business. I wanted to have all of that data just so I could understand where I should invest from a marketing standpoint. And it was when I started out on that journey that I realized that between lead to sale, is actually everything. There's everything in between. So that's what really caught me started going in and sort of getting involved in everything from the tracking to the tools to the automation integrations. And they had Salesforce set up. So it was trying to get everything properly sorted in Salesforce and the lead sources into Salesforce. Like where did this lead come from? Down to the specificity of can we get more like this? So if it's lead source, for example, that says email or phone call or you know something generic, it's hard to tie that back to, well, we don't or we can't get more phones 
more leads, buy more phones. Well, where do they come from? What triggered that call? And of course, I'm sitting there like, I, I also really like to know what keyword they used. Now, being in the business voice space, it was very exciting for me because Versature at the time could provide the caller ID with the keyword on it. Like I could get all of that data. It was all there. It was all possible. It just wasn't quite connected in a way that could be used, that could be visualized, explained, automated. Because of course I had a lot of big plans and at the time a small budget that I really needed to stretch a long way. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. I would love to pick it up really from that actual, the last bit, because I think you gave a really nice context on your story and how you've got to where you are today and really what brought you from marketing to what really got you into revenue operations, which is, hang on, I need to understand Mm. it from end to end, from need to hear to understand, okay, we need to do more of this. And so I guess what I would actually probably like to begin with, which is I like to think about these things almost in a linear way of that journey, because I imagine what you need to do, you refer to it as connecting the dots, essentially, is inevitably, well, how do we get all of those initial data points together so that we can actually start to visualize it? So I'm interested to know what are those data points that you consider to be crucial to have access to, to be able to report on ROI? So the specific data points were where the lead came from. So it was the source and it was having the details. So really it was linking that lead and keeping that information through the sales journey. So here's where it came from. Here's where the sort of the influence was. And I first focus on that first touch because if we didn't get it to start with, we wouldn't have it at any other stage. So this was before... There was so much emphasis on the multi-attribution. Tools were limited. I know now there are a lot of tools out there that you can do a lot of things, but I'm actually very fortunate, I think, now in hindsight to have started before these tools existed. So I did have to do this stuff by hand, hands-on. You know, I can always go back to a spreadsheet and do things in a formula that a tool is doing. And I know how those things work. So a lot of those tools at the time were limited, but they were still there. And it's almost easier because they were simpler. But I did, and also at the time, I have to say, Versature was really ahead of things. And the CEO there had got, you know, was kind of an early adopter on some of the key tools and cared and wanted that attribution and the revenue, what I was doing, which really went a long way for motivation. So I did sort of have that support. And with my background in digital analytics and web analytics, working for companies on the e-commerce side. When I was at Napkin, also at the startup stage, interestingly enough, I think I was employee number three there. And now they may be close to a 100 working again there for the CEO. So I was able to bring the kind of digital side. So the website, 
generated leads and our chat. So I guess if I was to back up, it's really where the lead came from. So what was that lead source? And not to confuse it with how it came in, because it can come in different ways from the same source. So was the where did it come from? How did it come in? And then tracking that through to when did it close? How much did we generate in revenue? And then from a SaaS kind of standpoint, I know there are many companies in the same situation, but sales cycles can be long. So it was ensuring that we had the, here's what we sold. And if not, here's what the opportunity amount was. So in Salesforce, it was really tracking the lead to op to account and having the lead source, the lead status, and having it be mandatory and automated wherever necessary. And it was much easier in the early days, but making sure all leads had a lead source and we knew where they came from was one of my early missions that I put a lot of energy towards and had at the time. And as we grew, I was able to kind of build on that foundation. But I did learn the hard way that, you know, just because you have a field there doesn't mean anyone's going to fill it out. I was all excited. I thought, I thought, you know, sales would be excited too. It's all this, all this data. Of course, they want to give it to me. And then, you know, I, I realized quite quickly that no, they, they like to do their selling and here. So I started to get into the automation tools. One of the first people to use, I think, well, one of the first companies using Pardot, definitely early on that side too, which is automation before it was, I mean, I could say still struggling with, but I mean, we used a lot of tools, but Pardot was definitely in the early stage. But just trying to bring that together and automate and use other tools like Clearbit or other tie-ins, I realized quite early on, and I don't mean to name drop, I used to name drop tools for the next half hour that I had experience with. But in the end, I automated everything that we could. And for things like lead source, using Pardot or setting rules around if it looks like this, if it comes in like this and has these pieces of information, make sure it's marked as a... Google AdWords, and then tell me the campaign. So I got the templates set up. I got things mapping over because I wanted to be able to know not only just sort of what keyword they came in, but what content they engaged with. And when sort of the qualification stage, as you probably know, is a very important and a very common sort of challenge in the RevOps space is to identify and be able to have all of that data so that, and I knew even then, which I'll get back to now. It's kind of the problem with kind of seeing everything maybe from the, you know, seeing too much early on, but I did set myself up for this. So it was something very special to know that after nine years, I could look back and what I had set up was finally, you know, and it was worth it. I can benefit from that now because I did set up that CRM knowing that, yes, I'm not going to know all the data I need now, I know that clients are going to change. I know that people are different. I know there's different motivations. Psychology is behavioral psychology is a whole other piece that I just side interest and and love. But I really outlined it in a way that could just be repeated. So any data that we could get automatically, we did. And I would map that over. I wanted to know industry. I wanted to know the size of business. I wanted to know anything that would allow us 
to intelligently sort of differentiate something. Like as in, if to put it simply, if you would do something different, right, with a certain data set, right, if it was A or B, if you do something different, if it was B, let's get that data. If it's really doesn't matter, we're not going to treat them differently, or you don't have the resources, let's not bother. But because at the time, a lot of the work was setting up that template and getting it in, I did ensure that we got in the details that we needed, even though at the time, volume was small. So it almost seems like, well, why would we need that? And why would we need this? But I fought this sort of generic terms. And really, it's just the conversations because an event, it doesn't really say enough. Well, what type of event is it? Because we would attend, you know, maybe cannabis events, we were getting into that space. So it's a very different thing to look at an ROI on events when, yes, I'd like to know events as a whole. I'd also like to know the individual ones, just like campaigns and keywords because of the similarities. And at the end of the day, I know, as everyone knows in RevOps space, that timing is everything. So if you're looking at your keywords or like it, you could roll all of that up, but if timing is still involved and it was a great campaign, right keyword, right target, but the timing was off, then it's going to give you that data that could be misleading. So I was really protecting the truth and the data. I was very, that's sort of where I come from on that kind of a mindset from napkin days, I guess, as a data first, kind of analyst first person wanting that to be exclusive. And so we set drop down so you could pick event. Yes, you could still have your events, but then down the drop downs, there was individual events. We ended up, you know, rolling different things together. So there's certain keywords, there'd be paid lead programs, outbound lists. And then we wanted to divide the highest level from, well, wait, there's inbound, there's outbound, there's referral. These all behave very differently, which I only knew because we tracked all of that data to know how they behave differently. They close differently. So yes, I think I listened to the latest benchmark report or read read about it and the 30% win rate, like the whole average. I tried to get that out of the sort of the hidden insights in the blended average, right? The sort of the 30%, yes, but I'd see 50% to 10. And you start, well, so yes, you could say 30, but this, you can't take that and apply it to all of our segments. And so it was really breaking it down to say, okay, here's where we need to focus. And then here's where it looks like, which I guess is kind of going towards the end. But when I was setting that up, I knew that's where we wanted to go. Like deep as sort of a, a space that I've just always loved and sort of allowed me to kind of see the big picture of, okay, I know we're going to need this. Here's what we're going to do. All right, it's going to be a long journey. Here are our tools. Here are our people. As we grow, we're going to need this. So we just kind of, I worked with the COO as we grew marketing, the you know VP of marketing, VP sales. And really, because I had that, here's all of our systems. We know where everything's coming in. I then worked with the sales to go, okay, so here's our lead made a process around, here's when a lead's going to convert, right? Here's when it's going to convert to the off. A lot of that is with sales and marketing. I was working in marketing. So I ensured that all of that data was there. And on the sales side, it was making sure that the stages were aligned and that all of the data mapped over from lead to off and from off to close and that close dates were accurate and of course the stages. And it just, I started realizing that here's my, you know, leads and marketing. And very quickly I'm talking to the, the sales guys wondering, well, what's going on? 
I can really appreciate that sort of relationship and some of those pain points from almost all the different departments kind of skipped over the fact that one of my early projects was building out sort of compensation models for sales and for the sales team and trying to tie that to motivation to do things like make the right calls, right? Call the right prospects. They got all these people. They had duplicates. We had times where I may have been calling the same people, but it was taking all that going, wow, all of this makes it almost impossible to track the return on my little AdWords investments, right? Which by no means was everything the company was doing at the time, but it was everything to me. So that is where it started because I am looking at that, whatever it was, maybe five grand and spend, which is like nothing now, but it's, I had to stretch that. It was different. And I wanted to know exactly where those leads went. Why didn't they close? Why didn't they get called? Oh, I did call them. You know, I get back. Well, I didn't see you called them. Wait, where are you logging it? Why is that not connected? So it brought me through the whole sales cycle, everything, the stage, the tracking the calls, the outcomes, decision makers, where that landed. And it was only then that I was actually able to get the ROI on, you know, that lead that came in on in Google and track the revenue and match that to the spend and get all of that into Salesforce. And everything was pretty advanced at the time and all of the teams were pushing. So customer success was sort of growing and doing the same thing. And it was just full of you know, that's why I love startups so much. It's just the passion and the people have so much power and everyone was just pushing ahead. So in the matter of, I just want to say a couple years time, it's just the growth and the process and like everything was there. So once the foundation was there and, you know, the fields were set and, you know, we had to change this, of course, it wasn't not going to say we got it all right the first time, but we did just continue pushing and we were in there and making those changes, learning And so we had it all set up quite early on. And yeah, it was exciting. And we knew exactly where our leads were coming from. I had dashboards that told us where all the revenue was, where it wasn't. And we were tracking leads from source through to sale and even through to lost by the end of of the 10-year, well, 10-year period. But all of that did get done in the early days. I love the clarity on... Uh, getting to a point where you had data that you could really trust in. And that then, I think, inevitably leads to where I'm now curious to understand, once you've got that the, the data in place, once you've got the dashboards and the visibility of where revenue is coming from, when you're able to prove through the value of those activities, what kind of decisions does that insight enable you to do? And perhaps it's you, perhaps it's your CEO, perhaps it's your marketing leaders, sales leaders, anyone within the business, I'm interested to know perhaps the top three kind of decisions that it helps them to do more effectively because they have that data, because they have that visibility. For sure. So one of the, I guess, some of the major areas of forecasting, prioritization, and qualification as well. Forecasting, and forecasting is always a fun one, but forecasting was very difficult when the data wasn't accurate, to get an accurate forecast with inaccurate data, and not necessarily to anyone's fault. It was actually a combination. It wasn't one thing. It wasn't the salespeople's fault, right? It was a a lot of what I love from the process standpoint there and from the data. So it was things like getting the stages aligned or making sure it was more methodical. And also, we were able to then build in tools, I should say, with our 
lead source data, that once we had all of that and we knew exactly where that was coming from, the specific list and the specific person with all of that data, whether they were the buying decision, the size, the region, then we were able to use that to do more specific targeting and also know what to expect. So the forecasting was much easier and far more accurate. And it could then be done. Of course, it wasn't, it was sales that would work with forecasting, but he's still working with what the reps are putting in. So we were finally able to get reliable data for forecasting and also for just prioritization at all levels for sales and who are they going to follow up with when and for SDRs and also identify the value. Now, the SDRs was a department that didn't even exist when I started. And it was one of the more exciting things. I think it might be one of the feature questions. It was one of my most sort of exciting things that I did there was on on the SDR side because it was just non-existent to a team of 25 people are actually 30 at one time. But all that to say qualification on the sales side is a big deal. And the more data you have, the easier that is because I know I've heard it before and I think I heard in the last podcast, but I'll just say it again. It, it is hard not to focus on just what comes your way. And it was we were seeing that just be what's new or the equal spread and not all opportunities are equal. And I'm looking at it even back in marketing going, I like we haven't spent equal money on all of these leads either. So when we talk ROI, I should just kind of clarify that maybe it's a given, but maybe it's just something that's easy to forget that not all sources are equal in terms of spend. And yes, it can be more complex. And I'll tell you, probably can't get into it in this podcast, but by the end, more on the data rev ops side, not even specifically on this topic, but was really taking that to the next step, saying, okay, now we've got even more data on the company and on the different components and the markets and really being able to optimize that way. But that's much bigger. And to get there, really just how the opportunity and what you can do by just prioritizing where you're putting the effort. Because yes, there's dollars and you could say there's ROI and there's RO, whether you say ROE, return on energy or return on your time is what I'd say. Because I'd always say ROI, yes, it's investment, but I also say time is for investment. You're investing your time. So you could say that that covers everything, but it's once we grew our SDR team in sales, they were making calls. And as soon as you know, you put a target out there or a number, you had to make 20 calls, let's say 50 calls. They would make the 50 calls. But it's like, who are you calling? And we had the data. So once we got the data, it got more exciting. Oh, maybe I do want to call this person. It looks like they're in the market. I can see that they were looking. Our inbound leads, we had more data on, but we were pushing data and getting data from there's various tools that will do it, right? That will just give you more intent data. But I just found the more you could get, the easier it was to prioritize. Now, a lot of that had to be done automatically and not by any means any of this all on my own. It's a lot of working with the team as we were growing because now we've got VP sales or we have VP marketing growing out their team and they need that data. And it's all different for everyone. But the similarities are things like everyone wants to forecast or know the what to expect and be able to prioritize whether it's their dollars, their people, understanding what they have. And it's really hard to manage, as you always say, can't manage what you can't measure. And it was a challenge in sales and marketing 
first until we were able to get the data. But it was also, it was very fortunate that at that time, I was surrounded with just very smart people at the, you know, the CEO and the CEO and those co-founders that the scaling seemed to be just aligned, especially in those days that it was just enough push, but not too much. So it never got out of control. So it was a nice kind of build up in our CRM so that we could build on those forecasts till we got that 95% accuracy, build in those tools to see if the automation tools were actually matching what we were already doing. But we were ahead of that. So we already had our qualification down, the prioritization, the forecasting. So we knew what to expect on our own. And I could do that in a spreadsheet. I could even work with the beat our sales and a spreadsheet and give them some credit. You know, I've never seen like it. It always gets me excited when someone's got, of course, I say you may have to get out of that pivot table a spreadsheet, but I still love that they're in there. Anyone who's in the data and wants to know, I'm there to help. But those three areas were certainly big ones because those sort of dictate kind of the rest of the cycle and really will give you the, the biggest sort of improvements and just transfer across everything. How did you approach equipping those teams with the insights? And when I say equip them with it, I use that quite loosely because that could be like top down, for example, you know, to your example, sharing the data in a spreadsheet that helps them make decisions around strategy or equip could also be bottom up as well of the kind of automation and workflow that happens around prioritization and so on and so forth. So I appreciate it's a fairly open question, but I'm intrigued to know how that kind of translated through in your experience. Yeah. So, I mean, the various teams, it was all of it. I mean, it was kind of all of the above. I couldn't not work with the SDRs themselves. And of course I wanted to, if it was up to me, I'd actually do all of their jobs for a little bit. I'm not sure if I would make a great SDR, but I always wanted to because that's where you get the understanding. So I would sit with them and I would look at what they're doing, where they're struggling. I sort of felt like I was part of all the departments. And because of that, and because I sort of helped all the departments kind of pull together the data, I mean, even finance, it was connect and the different systems. I guess it's sort of the say because it was quite small. I kind of had my hands. That's enough in everything. Also, this was a time where kind of crazy to say that, but everybody was in the office every day. <laughs> we had dogs. This is a different time. But everybody was, we were all very close. And dashboards were also a big deal at the time. So we were using Clipfolio. I've used other tools. Again, one of the earlier, I think, users of that. But it's really exciting. So I would start to showcase, you know, some of the data and sort of what they can do with this. And really my sort of natural excitement, I think, would... And this, these were also at the days I could uh, show up at people's desks. It was harder for anyone to ignore me. But I really just like to take it all in. Often now I can gather from a company and you, know, you can go in and I can see the data and I can get in there. But it was before we were necessarily attaching calls. I couldn't just go in and see everything. Now we work to do that. Like I said, Versature being a, a VoIP company, which then was acquired and became Netjafone Canada. So if you hear those two exchange, it is because over that 10-year period, it was acquired. It did become Netjafone Canada. But all that to say that going in and looking at where companies are now in SaaS space, they just have a lot of these tools, have a lot of data pushed in already. So they can kind of ramp up, even looking at AI to kind of quickly ramp up. But I ramped up by being right in the office, right in there, listening to the calls, just getting an idea for everything. And then pulling all the data into the CRM. 
our CRM became our source of truth. That's where everybody was using. But it was trying to get everything to one place, whether it was in and out, you can get tools that do anything. But it was getting data out of, you could say that was another bowl, was getting data out of spreadsheets into Salesforce and just into a usable format for everyone. And the managers were excited to use it. And the teams really specifically breaking it down without kind of politics, everything else aside, everybody, it was beneficial. If I was doing it, it should be helpful. And I always wanted someone to tell me why not. So if I'm doing a new process or setting up something for the BSDRs and I can't get buy-in from you know, the manager or someone doesn't understand it, always dig into the why. Because at the core, it's to actually increase revenue, it's to save time, like it's just upside. Now, there's motivation pieces and maybe you could argue there's some more complexities, which I still kind of also appreciate and learn. That's why I love the kind of psychology piece of it there too, and try to make it in a way that it should be good for everyone. Motivation should be there. OKRs, we ended up OKRs eventually, which actually, well, yeah, we kind of, which naturally brought everything together and drove all of that with the teams. But in the early days, it was TVs around the office and everyone had their own dashboard. We did a lot of team dashboards as well to motivate our sales, especially. Nobody wanted to be on the bottom, right? You don't want to be on red. And I just realized the power of dashboards. So when I was playing, I'd just throw things up like, hey, look at this. We've got five leads waiting for follow-up. You know, look around the room. We've got six. So it's an example. So again, I'm not trying to call anyone out. It's those types of motivating dashboards. Of course, you'd look up there and go, oh, I better grab that one or what's going on? And because it was new. It was really exciting. Like now I think dashboards are more common. Everyone's like, what do you mean you don't have a dashboard? And it's like dashboard overkill. Too many now. But there's always something like that, right? To draw attention. And I'd say if it's not a dashboard, it's the newest thing. It's replace it with something else. I'll use it the same way. But it was really to get people bought in and here's what you can do and really appealing to every individual, which is where a tool like Salesforce is great because everyone's in there. Show me where you start your day. It's easy to make some customizations. Eventually, when I had my team, everybody was sort of, it's almost like you're working. It's like a good two-way, I guess, kind of relationship. You're working directly, at least for me, since I was working for the president. It's like you're working for kind of the company. And it's hard not to because I have all of the interests you know, in mind, but for everyone else. So everybody got really excited. And if anything, they'd be asking for too much. And I said, well, what would you do with that? We almost went on a too many dashboards, too much data. So really, it started to be the accountability on, okay, let's start getting a plan. And what are we going to do with this? Because we did get the data quite early on. So sales had aggressive, all right, I'm going to increase win rates, or they could increase revenue from certain segments, or we could get increased leads. And we still had those kind of overall numbers to work with. And then I was really getting into the insights and going, okay, here's where you can focus to increase your number once we get the numbers to make sense. Because of course, what's a lead? Maybe you want to do increased number of qualified leads or sales. So I was always trying to make sure that not one number got met without a little bit more context. So with dashboards, I'd have leads, but then maybe I'd have the percent qualified and say, okay, as long as we meet this number of leads and this number is qualified, then we'd achieve 
the goal. And it was really just kind of once everyone had their goals and targets, it was just saying, here's how I can help you meet them. Here's what I think we need to do over here. Here's what's going to save time. Here's what's going to prioritize and looking at some of the tools that we added and cadence that we ended up building, then the automation and all of those pieces kind of went from there. And before it started to scale, right, and get very large, it was, yeah, you could really kind of get your hands on all of those pieces and strategy, which everyone did at the time, which was very exciting. And not sure, hopefully I didn't, uh, probably answered your question, hopefully, because I always feel free if I'm just kind of rambling on. There's a lot to this space as I'm realizing more and more. So just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. I think you actually summarized it really nicely. And actually, some of the, one of the bits I was just noting down at the end there as you were talking that I thought was really nice was actually connecting the dots between OKRs and the insight itself. Because often what comes up a lot when I talk to folks in RevOps is, okay, I've got all this amazing data and insight, but no one's listening to me. They don't get it. And what I actually really like about what you said there is really connecting the dots between, okay, you've got an OKR, so objectives and key results for anyone uninitiated, where it might be to improve your for a rep, it might be to improve their win rate or shorten their sales cycle or to improve the rate at which they are qualifying, like prospects, for example. And what I really like is how you, and this is how I interpreted it, is start to connect the insights that you have together with that OKR. So that's what you've got to achieve. Well, the data is telling me this. If you do X, Y, and Z, that's going to help you to hit that target. If I was the rep receiving that information, we'd be like, okay. I get it now. I like now I understand why I should be doing this. Yeah. And and it's funny. It's like the sort of what AI, I guess, is kind of looking to. It's that, okay, here's what you do and you can get this extra dollars. It's very similar to what I guess I would do at Napkin as well. A lot of their value and a lot of where I guess I can credit the, the guy there. I I will give credit to the CEO, to Jim, who really, (laughs) he drove that in my early days, 15, 16 years ago now. Wow. No, I just feel old, but <laughs> it really drove the, you got to tell them what they need to do, right? And just tell them how that's going to matter, right? What do they expect to achieve? And trying to write these sentences, which seems so crazy at the time that by doing this, you know, by doing X, you can increase revenue by X over like a, a very stable where somebody would be crazy not to want to do that. So, Although setting OKRs is hard and targets, right? Like getting those right aside, once you have those, it's absolutely tying everything back to here's how that is going to get you towards your goal. When more here is how we're going to do it. But I guess the point being is not the same for everyone. So it wouldn't be the same as even in the end, working with the managers who are more kind of right front facing their teams. And then the VP is worked on the managers, but still kind of overlooks the the whole piece, right? It's all those different motivators where 
okay, you can only show so much to so many people like at, you know, at one time. So I love being in all of the data. And I ended up setting up a very detailed, but also kind of rolled up to sort of a basic sort of funnel view. And then I had some dashboards around that as well. But that just really kept an eye on everything that was any sort of trigger point from lead to closed, lost, or won with things in between from a stage point that historically over 10 years was tracked and in an automated way to kind of keep everything on the rails and trigger any kind of individual, I guess, at the higher level on the strategy side to make sure everything's moving along in the right direction. But just the way that I think and the way that I'm in everything that I would, like you said, many rev ops, like you're, you're in those tools, right? You see that data and you may think what you see is what someone else sees or what you know is common knowledge, but it's not. But it's only good if it can be actioned, right? So it's really pushing to say, okay, that's enough of the so what metrics or the, you know, that's nice. Or even if you hit target or not knowing if you hit target. So it was, it was pulling it all together. OKRs with a great approach, which you have to credit. Yeah, my, the president of Netflix, one of the co-founders of Burster really pushed that to get going, which is not an easy exercise. And of course, you know, you struggle through it, but start aligning things together to realize, wow, this is really, I do believe there's a lot to that because it, not, it makes everything else that I had struggled with so much easier, right? Because then, okay, they need to listen to those insights. Like you said, all right, just because that's their OKR. They know that's their goal. Everybody wants to hit that goal, right? Like they, they do want to reach their goal and it's just, it's clear and it helps drive that priority sort of naturally. And if you want to and have the framework you did to measure the success, then it's, okay, well, here's our plan and here's what we're going to do. And as long as that aligns to the goal, then you just continue growing, you continue increasing profitability, and it it just keeps everything aligned. Now, this does assume all of those goals are correct. But even if they're not, and you have a percentage of them, right, you can still push through because you don't have to have OKRs that necessarily make sense. So it's not saying, oh, well, as long as everybody's tracking towards their, their goals, it assumes a lot, a lot more than that. But for our journey, that piece was really that kind of final one that just really secured the it's kind of the glue and keeping everything together. Yeah, that really made it much easier to get the buy-in. Yeah, fantastic. Lisa, we're coming up to time now. And uh, I actually think that you've summarized it really beautifully from end to end in many ways. There's there's many different rabbit holes that I would love to take from here, but I feel like this might be about a two to three hour podcast episode. So maybe we'll have to come back together and start to explore some of those <laughs> rabbit holes a little bit more. Oh, I love rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> like That sounds great. Sign me up. <laughs> if uh, anyone listening would love to hear more of said rabbit holes, uh, reach out to me or send a message to Lisa. And that's actually how I'd like to end it. Lisa, for anyone listening, perhaps have got any questions of how you did it at Versature and, and later net to phone, where can they find you? Um, you can reach out on LinkedIn. I've got some other projects and get a chance to talk about going on now, but mostly I am still looking for that next thing at this current moment. But as you can say, I'm actually sad that this is over. I have to say you've been great as well to speak with. So I hope that you'll uh, talk to me too. Also from a very exciting company. So maybe I'll have to look into into you a little bit more as well. I don't want to say it wrong though. So. <laughs> Epster. That's, that's how I say yeah. Epster. Epster. Beautiful. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for your time. Likewise, it's been an absolute pleasure. 
I'm sure we can dig into things in a bit more detail later date. So thanks so much again. And to everyone that's listened this week, we'll catch you next week. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.